Good morning, church. It's so good to see you again this morning. Uh, this morning, we're going to be doing a new, we're starting a new series in the book of James called More Than Words. And the reason I've called it More Than Words is simply this, because I think James saw uh, something missing in the church. And so he wants us to know real faith in Jesus goes beyond more than just an acknowledgement of our belief. You know, there's something deeper. It has to be more than an intellectual understanding. Real commitment to Christ and sincere repentance and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, it produces a changed heart in us. And the state of our heart, quite frankly, it's revealed in our actions. And, and yes, sometimes in our words, it's how we say the words, the things that we do, the way we treat people. So if our actions don't represent Christ, then, you know, I hate to say it, it, it's it's a heart problem that we need to consider. So let me be 100% clear on this. This letter from James is not uh, a doctrine of salvation by works, okay? If you read James and you're concerned about not doing enough to earn salvation, you're reading him wrong. That's not what he is trying to say. Here is what you need to hear clearly before we jump into this book. You know, salvation is a free gift. It is, it is God's grace bestowed on us. It is for anyone who believes that, that Jesus is Lord. It's for anyone who puts their faith in him and receives his forgiveness for their sins through the power and death of the resurrection. That's salvation. We're not talking so much about that in this book. James is writing a letter saying to us that repentance and salvation is completely, completely life-changing. And therefore, there really should be evidence of it. So here is a truth. God, uh, good works doesn't lead to salvation. Salvation leads to good works. Do you see how that works? The point is this. When it comes to faith in Jesus, you know, people should be able to see it. Our faith has to be more than just the words that we believe in. It's more than just a statement of faith, as important as they are. People need to be able to see it. So, as I said, I've called this series More Than Words. And depending on your age, you know, you might remember a group from the 90s called Extreme. And they had a very popular song called More Than Words. But uh, I love these three lines in that. In that particular song, yes, it was a love song, but I love what they said here. And this is what they said. More than words is all I ever need you to show. Then you wouldn't have to say that you love me because I'd already know. Do you remember that song? I mean, you know, when it comes to knowing that Jesus loves me, I, I have his words. You know, we, we have our Bibles. We have his words. And his words are powerful and, and they're meaningful. But more than words, he has demonstrated his love for us. Um, you know, the fact that he died for us is the biggest demonstration of love that anyone could ever give us. And, and his demonstration of love continues to this day. All the things that he does for me day in, day out. John 15, 13 says, There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. You know, talk about more than words. This is what Jesus has done for us. 
The way Jesus loved us wasn't just to tell us, although he did, his whole life was a demonstration of love for everyone around us, including to us today. And so it should be for everyone around us. You know, if we profess to believe in Jesus, there's a demonstration. There's, it's more than words. So let me begin this series with this question. Do the people around you, do they know that you love Jesus? Like, do they, is it really obvious to them? And not just from you telling them, I mean from the very kind of person that you are, the visible demonstration of how you love others. Do they know you follow Jesus? Can they tell by the things you do and say and, and how you say them, those things, what, what you say about them? When people think of you or talk about you, you know, what, what do they say? That's a good question to ask yourself. Can you picture people saying, that person, you know, Nathan really, he loves me. I know he does by his actions. Are you the person that demonstrates the sacrificial love like Jesus did? If your answer to that first question is, do people know I love Jesus? You know, if your answer is maybe not really or Maybe the answer is, I'm, I'm not sure. Or perhaps you'd be sitting there thinking, I, I don't know if it's clear to people. Or even, well, I, I actually, I want it to be obvious. Or perhaps your answer would be, I really want that to be a resounding yes, pastor. Or whatever your answer, I think that, that James really does show us the way. So let's begin. We're going to be in uh, James 1, verse 1. Here we go. This letter is from James, a slave of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. I am writing to the 12 tribes, Jewish believers scattered abroad. Greetings. We're actually not going to go any further than that today. We're going to stop on verse 1 because there's something here I actually think we need to, to dwell on. But first, let me just quickly address this 12 tribes of Israel that James says are his intended recipients, because here's what I think is going on here. You know, uh, James was writing to um, a rather specific group of people, although it was a general letter across many churches. It was to um, believers who were from his Jewish background. So they were Jewish believers. Um, in a similar way, you know, Paul would, would mostly write letters to Gentile Christians, you know, those who did not have uh, a background or an upbringing or a culture focused in around, uh, around God. And so you can imagine their letters do have a slightly different emphasis, but both of them still apply to us. So that's important to remember. Paul's audience is coming from a different position. You know, he's really calling them out of a very worldly, secular, often immoral lifestyle. Um, you know, he would often do teaching around sexuality and greed and justice and, and, and marriage and, and things that he would, he would see they were, very, they were missing from that Gentile culture. Whereas James, he kind of assumes his audience, you know, they, the Jews, um, they had a lot of these, they, an understanding about some of those issues already. The Jewish culture was kind of, they were good with God's moral code. So why on earth was James 
calling them to reveal their faith through their actions. If, if they've got the moral side of things quite good, why is he calling them to, to reveal Jesus more in their, in their actions? It's because there's something deeper than just a stated belief in God and, and you know, following God's laws around sexuality and, and tithing and the Sabbath is so important. And Paul teaches on those things all the time. James is saying there's something else, church. The presence of God in us is revealed in how we love people. And I think this is where James was really trying to get to. He, he sees something missing from his uh, fellow believers, particularly his Jewish believers, and he's writing to them about that. How we love God shows up in how we love people. I want you to hear that clearly this morning. How we love God is revealed in how we love people. And I think James saw this and wanted people to know it more. You know, the Pharisees kept every letter of the law. They knew the scriptures better than anybody. They paid their tithe to the cent. You know, they, they kept every law to do with the Sabbath. But Jesus, he would often push back on that group of people, wouldn't he? Because he could see how that they were treating people. He knew something very important was missing from here. And so James writes to that culture, not necessarily calling them Pharisees, but there, there might have been um, a tendency along those lines. And he calls them to live a life that reflects, reflects the love of God in their hearts and, and how it's expressed to others. So I hope that helps you just to set the scene for this whole series that we're going to go through in James. So back to the top. Once again, this letter is from James, a slave of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. A slave of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, a, a slave. And I have to admit, I don't really like this word, you know, I do love the NLT translation. I find it's a, it's very, it's good, accurate, um, quality translation, and it speaks well into our, our modern day language in an accurate way. But they use this word slave there. But when I went to the NIV and the ESV, they used the word servant. And servant, I must admit, at first, it, it felt like a much better word. Being that I like to preach out of the NLT, I, I, I thought, well, I need to look into this. And this is what kind of led me into today's sermon, into today's message. So a quick look in my uh, Strong's Concordance reveals the Greek word is, du is a doulos. And the definition for that word says it can either be a slave or servant. But actually, the more I looked at it, the more I think slave, it is actually a good fit for what James is trying to say. You know, there's, there's a big difference between, between the two, isn't it, in our own minds, between servant and slave. And in some ways, there was a big difference in James's time as well. But one other word that Strong's used in, in their uh, definition of this Greek word is the word bond. So you may have heard the word bond servant before, and I, and I think that that's really helpful when we think of, think of it like that. I think James is trying to be very clear of how he viewed himself as a follower of Jesus. He literally sees himself, you know, as being tied to Jesus. There is this willing, there's this tie between him and us. There is a bond. So 
You, you can say you're a servant, which is good and true, but a servant in our culture is simply working, really, in exchange for money. It's, it's kind of a means to an end when I think of a servant. And that's not how James sees himself. So he uses this word slave, and I, I like it. He, he sees himself as bound to Christ. Bondservant is a good word. But slave actually starts to make sense, especially when you look at the context of what slave means in his culture. When we think of slaves, you know, we, we immediately think of um, the evil nature of it, quite frankly. And it's true, it, it, it is. Um, we see someone who was forcibly um, held by somebody else. And particularly in our, in our current and recent history, you know, we see people who um, were literally held in chains, uh, held against their will, forced to en- enrich other people and, and given no freedoms and treated terribly and it's an evil and it's ungodly you know we think of the north american context in particular but in james's culture you know it wasn't so clear cut it was a bit of a mixed bag actually when it came to to slavery there were there was some brutal forms of slavery and we would still call those out and say that they're evil Um, but there was also particularly more in the urban setting people who would voluntarily go into an agreement with people um, and it would usually have an end date and it can have other, there's a, there's a way to almost buy yourself out if you want to. But think of it more as back then there wasn't really any social welfare from governments. It was a way for people who, who needed um, support or you know, a place for their family and they would, they would be provided with uh, lodging and, and meals and, and whatnot. And they would serve those people, they would serve their masters in that way. But, you know, even Paul would talk about that kind of slave and master relationship and he would demand um, that there be mutual respect, you know, integrity and compassion. So we, it's just a slightly different way or understanding of, of slavery for us. But you know what? The evil stuff still abounds around that. And so I'm not trying to excuse it in any way at all. This is the kind of slave that would tie himself to his master and be available to further you know, his master's kingdom. That was, had to be his priority. And, and I think this is the point James wanted us to know. You know, there's a lot of descriptions of who we are in Jesus in the New Testament. Uh, child of God is the big one. And uh, that's the one that really um, grabs a hold of us and, helps, and gives us our identity in Christ. Of course, Christian and follower and believer, royal priesthood, saint, those are words used to describe followers of Jesus. And in fact, Jesus at one point even calls uh, followers of his friends. He says, I call you my friend. And they're all true and they all have important meaning to us about our, our place in Jesus. But James, he goes with slave to Christ in this one. And I'm prepared to adopt this title to in the right context. Here's why I think it's, it's good. First thing is this, slave to Christ, it's a, it's a very humble position. Now, listen, the thing you've got to know about James is he was the brother of Jesus, okay? And, and in this time he's writing this letter, he's overseeing the whole church in Jerusalem. You, you could call him the archbishop if you wanted to. And you notice he, he could have written this letter and thrown around his titles. You know, this is James brother of Jesus and Archbishop of Jerusalem. You know, you better listen to me. But he didn't. 
he went the opposite way. He says, I'm a, I'm a slave to Jesus Christ. He humbled himself. Because leaders in God's kingdom, they, you know, they're different. Our motivations, they're, they're not like the world's. And when it comes to leadership in God's kingdom, only those who don't grasp for personal power you know, should really be trusted with it. This is a, a lesson the church fails to learn over and over again. Jesus resisted all offers to take personal power for his own benefit, including, you know, that big temptation from the devil when he was in the desert. He resisted those things. And Christian leaders, we have to have that same heart. It's not about my empire, my wealth, my recognition, you know, status, getting my name out there into the world. That's not what it's about. Many talented, articulate and highly driven people have risen and seemingly accomplished much in the church only to fall because there was too much pride. There was too much ego. It wasn't about glorifying Jesus first. It became too much about them. Now, don't get me wrong. This warning that we're giving to potential and current leaders should not be confused with those who have a very strong calling. You know, God equips the called. And Christian leadership, you know, is actually a gift. And we need to acknowledge that. It's not necessarily just the talented um, lead, people with that kind of talent with leadership. We have to recognize that when it comes from God first. The difference is one attitude is leading to fulfill my own desires for personal power or recognition, but the other, the right attitude, is leading to fulfill God's desires. You know, it's to glorify him first. One is a slave to Jesus. You know, my satisfaction comes from serving him and pleasing my Lord. My desire is to bring praise and glory to him, and the other one is for my glory. The second thing is slave to Christ means complete submission to his will. You know, this is the surrender that, that we always talk about. And James gets it. He wants his Jewish Christian friends to get it. Jesus is his master. You know, he belongs to him. A slave in this context gives up his or her rights to go and live a life that fulfills his or her own desires. It means what is, get, just get this bit. Here's what it means. What is important to Jesus becomes what is important to me. You know, I've been praying for more and more for the example of Jesus in John 6:38 to become uh, my purpose as well. Because this is what Jesus said, For I have come down from heaven to do the will of God who sent me, not to do my own will. And, you know, I've been praying, God, I want to do your will, your will, not my own will. But I'm too aware at the level of, of the level of submission it will take for that to be completely true about me. So I pray more and more for God to search my heart and find the areas that aren't his and replace them. Now, you might ask, you know, Nathan, does that mean I can't pursue the desire of my heart, my own dreams? And the answer to that question, you know, it's a little complicated, but the simple answer is yes, 
if those desires are also God's. So I suggest you pray and ask God to make his desires your desires. You know, isn't that what we would want? They would still be desires. They're things that we would be wanting and striving for. But instead of my own, perhaps, selfish ones, what if we prayed and asked God, replace them, put your, put your desires, your, your dreams for me right in here. And I'll go after those. The things that excite and stir God and the dreams he has for me, God, let them excite my heart. Let them be my dreams and my hopes and my desires. And I, I'm sure that that would be so much more um, satisfying, you know, particularly over the long term, than anything that I can dream up for myself. Number three, slave to Christ means loyalty that, that might cost you. You know, I put the word might the, the truth is, probably will cost you. I may, it may mean missing out at times. It may mean ridicule. It may be costly. It may mean changing town. It could mean changing country even. It may mean a different vocation. It could mean, at times, that friends may abandon you. But there is a bigger and grander picture that we are part of, and the temporary cost is always worth it. In my experience, being loyal to Jesus and his plan, it's a great adventure. Sometimes it's uncertain. Sometimes it's very hard. It's costly. But it's nearly always exciting and rewarding. And when you look back, you see God's hand at work. And so slave to Christ means loyalty that might cost you. Number four, slave to Christ is real freedom. Let me just say that again. Slave to Christ is actually freedom. This bond we have with Jesus, it's not a loss of freedom, okay? You know, I was trying to think of a picture of what that looks like because traditionally when when you picture a slave, there's probably a, a picture of chains and shackles forcibly put around someone with a padlock, locking us to an owner to someone that would control us against our will, a loss of freedom. In fact, that's a picture of someone who is uh, really anyone who's not in relationship with Christ because the Bible says we are slaves to sin for those who aren't with Jesus. When it comes to being bound to Christ, I, I see something different. I see a picture of his hand reaching out to us And when we reach out and grab a hold of his hand, that's the bond. And it can't be broken because Jesus doesn't let go. You know, maybe sometimes we try to loosen the grip and and, and let go, but Jesus, he holds on tight. When we reach out and grab hold of Jesus, that actually breaks the chains that are around us. They are smashed. And that new tie or bond we have to Jesus in us willingly putting our hand in his, uh, you know, it leads us to assurance that he won't let go. That's our tie. That, that's our bond to our king. It's a hand reaching out to us that grabs a hold and we grab his and doesn't let go. I hope you can see the difference. Because if you're not bound to Jesus, we're bound to sin and, and our evil desires of self. That's... That's the bondage. 
You know, we have no freedom for those things without holding on to Jesus when we have no freedom and we'll have no freedom from an eternity without God. Being a slave to Christ, that bind, it binds us to our creator who loves us so much that, you know, he used more than words, came and died for us. It binds us to the one who saves us. It binds us to our reason for living and for our purpose in life. And it binds us to a source of strength, a source of joy and of peace. It binds us to a promise of eternity in heaven. It binds us to a power to change ourselves and the world around us. You know, this is why we talk about redemption. God is redeeming this world. He's redeeming us. It's a bond or a tie between me and Jesus and Jesus to me. And that bind and all the freedom that comes with it is available to anyone who would repent and believe and reach out and grab a hold of Jesus. But grab a hold for life. It's an all-in thing. And we leave behind the chains and the brokenness. We, go, we have freedom in him. And if you're a believer who is watching today, can, can you say all of your life is surrendered and tied to Jesus? Or, or is that a loose connection from your end? If not, I encourage you, the word of God through James is calling you to that kind of life. You know, keep watching every week. We're going to keep going with what James is saying here. He's calling you to this. What is God asking you to perhaps to give up? What is he asking you to give over? And if you've never committed to Jesus before, and, and you, you see that image of being bound to Christ as a, as a way of freedom, of, of taking off the burden of, of everything that you might have done in your life against God, against others, the weight of that can be released. The chains can be broken. That, that padlock is not only unlocked, it's smashed and you have a freedom in Christ, you can have forgiveness for your sins, then I'm going to invite you today, you know, even in your own homes, you can do that. Even if you're sitting with a family, you can pray quietly in your heart. In fact, what I'll do is I'll pray now, and you can just repeat what I say after you, or use your own words if you want. But there's three key things that I encourage you to do. It's the ABC. It's A, is admit your need for Christ. You know, admit the fact that you are bound up in chains and you would rather reach out and be, and be bound to him. He will forgive you and give you a new life. B is to believe. Believe that he is who he said he is. He is, he is the Christ, the Son of God. Um, he is the one that died and paid the punishment for your sins and rose again to, to live as your as your Lord. And C is to commit. And, and really, I think this is, C is the, the James part, isn't it? It's the bit where I'm committing all, all in and my life should reflect it. It should be a life you know, filled with God in my heart. When we, when we commit ourselves to him, he lives in us. It's what the scripture says. His Holy Spirit comes and dwells within us. And we are able to have the strength and the power to commit to a life that honors him and, um, and gives life to others. That's the C. So would you pray after me if you would do that this, this morning? God, I, I thank you and I praise you. And I come before you and admit my need for you. I admit, Jesus, 
that I have done the wrong thing by you and by others. I admit that I am a sinner. But Jesus, I believe. I believe that you are Lord. I believe that you are God. I believe you died for me. And I believe you rose again. And so this morning, Lord Jesus, I pray, forgive me. Forgive me for all I have done. I trust you to take away now the weight and the consequence of anything I have done or of all my sin. And so now I receive your forgiveness. I invite you to be my Lord and I will follow you. In fact, I will bind myself to you. I will grab on to you and not let go. I commit all of my life to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, you know, if you prayed that prayer, well, congratulations. You're now a follower of Christ, a believer, a Christian. In fact, as James would say, a slave, bound to, to Jesus, a lot, new life. You have a new life in him, and it's an exciting life, and it's a life filled uh, with joy and peace. In fact, the Holy Spirit now will reside in you. But I want to encourage you, doing it alone is really hard. Uh, reach out to me this week. Send me an email, a text message. If, if you're not usually part of Hills Church, you go to our website, hit the I have a need or the got questions button. Either of them are fine. It'll get to me. And just let me know. I've prayed that prayer. I'm committing to Jesus today. And I'd love to just send you a little note back and celebrate that with you and help you if I can. 